time. Thanks for spending the next half hour with Hey Voice of Resistance. I'm your host, Kelly. Resist! Ask yourself, how many friends or acquaintances do you have that are convicted, have been investigated, or are suspected of being a rapist or any form of sexual predator? Now, you may have, like, Two, if you include that math teacher who taught in sixth period in the classroom next to yours, that you later read about him getting picked up for flashing some joggers in the park. Hello? But like, what, two, maybe? Have you noticed the stunning amount of predators that Trump called or calls his friends? It's raining, man! I mean, besides himself, of course. Do these creeps run in packs? Yes, yes, of course, many do. For example, Trump supported and campaigned for Roy Moore, a racist homophobe credibly accused of sexually molesting underage girls, who despite Trump's backing, lost his Senate seat in spectacular fashion in bright red Alabama to a Democrat. There is John Casablancas, who founded one of the world's best-known modeling agencies, Elite Model Management, in 1972. Five years later, he started an agency from New York, and it soon went global. He used to party with Donald and provide him with models. Oh, my God. The agency ended up closing amid claims of human trafficking and modern-day slavery in regards to the treatment of the models he represented. And that is simply the beginning. He never saw consequences for his actions, by the way. There is Tevik Arif, which I'm sure I'm completely botching the pronunciation of. In 2001, Arif moved from Russia to the United States and opened an office in Trump Tower, two floors down from the Trump Organization. Arif hired Felix Sater, a convicted felon with mob connections, as his managing director. And in 2003, Sater introduced the firm to Trump. The most high-profile project was Trump's Soho in downtown Manhattan. Now, there is a ton of Russian-Putin connections here and corruption and lawsuits to boot, but that's for like a whole nother 10 podcast. In 2010, Arif was arrested in Turkey on suspicion of running a prostitution ring with nine adolescent girls, two of whom were 16 years old, all aboard a yacht. A Turkish court acquitted him in 2012. Then there's George Nader, who in August 2016 met Donald Jr. at Trump Tower, offering assistance to his father's presidential campaign. More corruption ensued, and Nader has been charged with multiple crimes involving sexual exploitation of minors and convicted of several of them. In 2003, he was convicted in Prague, Czech Republic, for sexually abusing 10 boys for which he served one year, only one year in prison. On June 3rd, 2019, Nader was arrested by federal agents for possession of child pornography, as well as bestiality, and for a second time, transportation of child pornography. These charges stemmed from his January 2018 questioning by FBI agents working on behalf of special counsel Robert Mueller, at which time the child pornography was incidentally found on one of his three cell phones as agents inspected it in pursuit of a warrant. He was ordered to be held in jail pending trial in Virginia. And then there's Bill O'Reilly, who to whom Trump said, I don't think Bill did anything wrong. And Roger Ailes, to which Trump said, Well, I don't want to comment, but he's been a friend of mine for a long time. And I can tell you that some of the women that are complaining, I know how much he's helped them. And even recently, and when they write books that are fairly recently released, and they say wonderful things about him, and now all of a sudden they're saying these horrible things about him. It's very sad, because he's a very good person. I've always found him to be just a very, very good person. And by the way, a very, very talented person. Look what he's done. And you get the point. Let's jump cut to Jeffrey Epstein. Of Epstein, Trump said, quote, It is even said that he likes beautiful women as much as I do. 
and many of them are on the younger side. No doubt about it, Jeffrey enjoys his social life, unquote. Look, guys, I, I'm not going to do a Trump uh, impersonation because I, I suck. So Jeffrey, a supposed billionaire, although there are doubts about this, no one really knows where he gets his money or how much he has, isn't usually refusing to turn up a financial record, so... Sound familiar? So Epstein was arrested for violating Title 18 of the United States Code Section 1591. Epstein was charged with child sex trafficking crimes and conspiracy to commit sex trafficking both in New York and Florida between 2002 and 2005. The charge came from the Attorney General's Office of the Southern District of New York, 11 years after Epstein got off on similar charges through a plea deal handed down to him by then-U.S. Attorney and ex-Trump Labor Secretary Alex Acosta, who had to resign over the whole scandal. And, and as to a message to the victims, um, the message is you need to come forward. Shut up! The plea deals now under new scrutiny in the light of Epstein's recent charges. In 2008, he had to register as a sex offender and spend a whole 13 months in jail, but was allowed to leave jail and on work release. What's more, Acosta and his court also agreed to abandon investigating Epstein any further and to not prosecute any person also accused of finding Epstein young girls. Yeah. So with all this Epstein stuff in the news... I wanted to talk about the precision of language. Being precise with the words we used is very important. And I know because I mess up words all the time, all right? But when it comes to the important things, we need to pay attention. It affects the way people view a situation. It is important to not under or overstate what it is about which we speak. We need to call things what they are and not be afraid of language. See, on Facebook, there has been several posts flying around correcting people's language in regards to what to call Epstein's victims. The posts and articles that I've seen either use incorrect terminology or while they talk about the terms we are not supposed to use, they don't talk about the language we are supposed to use. And let me be clear here. I'm not just talking about those who are using terms like sex when they should say rape, but I'm talking about the other side. The wide use I'm seeing of calling the victims children or the assault, specifically child molestation or pedophilia. I got together with my friend Tilda, who is studying for med school, and we wrote and nailed down the following. On what to call Jeffrey Epstein's victims. The media has been calling them young women, or underage women. I have also seen underage females, which seems to remove the humanness altogether. While female, they are not women. And, and while too many, they are perceived as children, and I perceive them as children, technically a child is prepubescent. In the same way, it is not child molestation or child rape, and they are not young girls either. That makes them too young, and we don't want to be as vague as to simply call them girls. And I know, right now you're probably likely rolling your eyes, but bear with me. We're almost there. What about teenage girls? While technically correct, it is clumsy and too broad. There's a large difference between a 13-year-old and an 18 or a 19-year-old. Also, not all teenagers are underage. There is a name for these vulnerable young victims, and that is underage adolescent girls. Jeffrey Epstein targeted, trafficked, molested, and raped underage adolescent girls. I'll say it again. Jeffrey Epstein targeted, trafficked, molested, and raped underage adolescent girls. 
Adolescence is a transitional phase of growth and development between child and adulthood, according to Britannica. And the World Health Organization, WHO, defines an adolescent as any person between the ages of 10 and 19. Okay, but confusingly, the victims do fall under the umbrella of child sex trafficking by law. That said, adolescents are distinct from children, as, think of it this way, all adolescents could be labeled children, but not all children can be labeled adolescent. So while many agencies will collectively group anyone under 18, from late adolescence and younger, into the catch-all, quote-unquote, child, it is not precise and it does not tell the story as it needs to be told. Think of how you felt in your skin at the age of 14 versus 18 and the difference in the level of cognition and awareness and self-esteem critical thinking life experience and perspective and vice versa at 14 to say 11 or 10 no matter what age you're at adolescent or below trauma at a young age is especially damaging because the brain is not fully formed especially unformed is the frontal lobe the control center for cognition and maturation of thought which makes it that much harder to process what has occurred and to cope with the magnitude of the immense emotion trauma victims experience. So they are not quote-unquote children in the academic or medical developmental sense of the word, but they are also not adults. They lack the cognition and emotional processing coping skills that healthy adults have learned. Precision in language matters. Also, Epstein, Moore, and others of Trump's friends who like to prey on underage adolescent girls, or boys for that matter, are not pedophiles. Pedophilia is primary or exclusive sexual attraction to prepubescent individuals, generally 11 years old and younger. Hebophilia is primarily or exclusive sexual attraction to pubescent individuals, generally ages 11 to 14. Also, and forgive me if I pronounce this wrong, aphebophilia, which is primary or exclusive sexual attraction to mid to late adolescents, generally ages 15 to 19. But guys, considering those terms are not ones that most people will recognize, we'll just call these guys predatory gross assholes. The younger a person is, the less biologically and socially adept and prepared for processing and coping those emotions. So it is important for people discussing these situations to understand the nuances between trauma inflicted at different developmental stages, as well as the kind of predator that is committing to the atrocities. The media's desire to soften the crimes for which he's responsible devalues the very real and devastating trauma that these adolescents have suffered through. Reporting and discussing their stories accurately is the least we owe them. While we're at it, also being used is the term child prostitute. Children can't consent. They are rape victims, sexual assault victims, or survivors. Just because someone paid to assault them does not make them any less of a victim. Next, using the phrase sex with uh, boy, girl, man, fill in the blank. Unless fill in the blank can consent, it is rape. Call it rape. Someone has suffered through and hopefully survived the rape. The least we can do for them is call it what it was. Next, non-consensual sex. Once again, it's rape. Call it rape. Do not do a rapist a favor by softening their crime with cotton candy and gumdrops. Rape victims deserve the respect of us calling what they have survived by its name. Might, Might is, is right. right. Is right. Is right. Is right. 
Have you ever heard the term might is right? Might, as in M-I-G-H-T, is right. It means those who are powerful can do whatever they wish unchallenged, even if their action is, in fact, unjustified. This is the world in which we live. We can tout the virtues of our representative democracy as though its integrity were intact. All we want, and yet in general, especially when it comes to justice, might is right. There is an amazing piece written by a writer, historian, and activist named Rebecca Solnit called In Patriarchy, No One Can Hear You Scream. Rebecca Solnit on Jeffrey Epstein and the Silencing Machine. Quote, Truth is whatever the powerful want it to be. Unquote. She talks about our world, so dictated by might is right, especially in many cases when it comes to justice. The past few years, amazing journalists have laid bare how extensively and devastatingly might is right rules in America. For people of color, for the poor, for non-citizens, and then for women. The Me Too movement revealed what these men actually run the media. The government, our financial system, our entertainment. They are the CEOs, the arbiters of power and power themselves. And key to their power... The pedestal on which they stand is comprised on those around them, all too happy to prop them up at the expense of others. They are kings. Rebecca Solnit points out the importance of not simply examining these men, but the well-oiled apparatus of society that hands these men the power and immunity to succeed above law and reason. And when might is right is in play, victims are robbed of not simply justice, but their voice. In New Jersey, a 16-year-old allegedly raped an incapacitated 16-year-old girl and filmed himself in the act and then shared the video with a text that read, when your first time having sex is rape, and then for months continued to share the video. The judge in family court, hearing his case, when Judge Toriano ruled that he would not be tried as an adult, it is the reasoning this judge had to not do so that is disturbing. The New York Times explains, quote, But a family court judge said it wasn't rape. Instead, he wondered out loud if it was sexual assault, defining rape as something reserved for an attack at gunpoint by strangers. He also said the young man came from a good family, attended an excellent school, and had terrific grades, and was an Eagle Scout. Prosecutors, the judge said, should have explained to the girl and her family that pressing charges would destroy the boy's life. He is clearly a candidate for not just college, but probably for a good college. Unquote. This boy's privilege mattered so much that his victim no longer mattered at all. His crime was no longer a crime, as it came from one with might and potential for true might, giving him all the rights that she, the girl, will never be afforded. Okay, and an appeals court did later overturn Judge Toriano's decision. But this story, though the events of it are recent, it's not a new story. Since the founding of this country, white men, especially those with means, are given every benefit of the doubt while minorities and women are condemned first and tried later, if at all. How many black men are tried as adults for minor offenses at younger ages? How many women are first questioned about what responsibility they played in their own rapes rather than looking into and only into the responsibility the rapist played? There is something else here, too. In this story, Judge James Toriano defined rape as something reserved for an attack at gunpoint by strangers. This is common. This image of rape. 
when the reality is the majority of children and teen victims know their perpetrator. Of sexual abuse cases to law enforcement, 93% of juvenile victims knew their perpetrator, 59% were acquaintances, 34% were family members, and 7% were strangers to the victim. Just 7%. When you tear population as a whole, 8 in 10 rapes are committed by someone the survivor knows. This is a convenient misconception people have. People like to think that rape is something that is done in the dark by a deranged stranger alone, when the opposite is very much more the reality and that can be more terrifying for people. Solnit writes, quote, But in so many cases, rapists have help in the moment and forever after, and the help is often so powerful, broad, and deep. Well, that's why we call it rape culture. And that's why changing it means changing the whole culture. Unquote. Be it the church, moving predators and staying silent while shaming the victim. Be it the school, who sides with the rapist and shames the victim. Be it the government, with payoffs and non-disclosure agreements. Then the blacklist of victims so they can never get a job again, and so on and so on. It was one woman who is responsible for the only hope Epstein's victims have for justice. Julie K. Brown of the Miami Herald, whose amazing investigative reporting brought about new charges against this predator. He should serve some time in federal, federal prison. But out there is still troves of enablers who looked on or actively aided, often with glee, his years of child sex trafficking. They will likely see no consequences, and the system that propped him up will adopt a new king to exert his might over others in a new, yet, in a new, yet oldest time way. As one of Epstein's friends, one who, along with Epstein, allegedly raped a 13-year-old girl under Epstein's control, the same friend who threatened her if she spoke up, that friend is now the President of the United States. I moved on her like a bitch. Due to threats, she dropped the civil suit just before the election. Not long after, 60 million Americans would vote for him, regardless of this being public, regardless of his state admissions, of sexual assault. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab them by the pussy. <laughs> I can do anything. And then there is this, Jeffrey Epstein. Benefit from former Harvard Law professor and media personality Alan Dershowitz, who vigorously defended them. He is a man who, too, has been accused of abusing girls. Epstein's trafficked adolescent girls. Earlier this year, the Miami Herald's Julie K. Brown reported, quote, An attorney for lawyer Alan Dershowitz wrote a letter to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit on Tuesday, asking whether the media should be excluded from the proceeding because his oral arguments on behalf of his client would contain sensitive information that has been under seal, unquote. And once again, a victim's voice is choked from her thanks to the might and power of money. Dershowitz is not alone in defending Epstein in Florida. He did so with Kenneth Starr, the very Kenneth Starr who turned a little blue dress into an impeachment trial. Starr was later fired as president at Baylor University under a lawsuit by a victim, a student who alleged that under Starr's leadership, he had done little about the 52 rapes, including five gang rapes, by 31 of the university's football players. The Chicago Tribune later reported... <laughs> That Ken Starr actually raised money on behalf of a former Baylor football player, who you won't be surprised to hear was acquitted of a sexual assault later that year. 
This is rape culture. Campus leadership stood with privileged males regardless of the facts, the justice system, or the victims. One of my favorite lines of Solnitz is, quote, Monsters rule over us on behalf of monsters. Unquote. And then the media. While the media deserves much praise for breaking the stories that start investigations and flush out perpetrators, they too are often a part of the culture that victimizes. Back in 2015, we learned that when a female reporter, quote, had tried to report on Weinstein's sexual crimes in the New York Times in 2004, her male editor dismissed the story. We learned this the same time that another woman journalist tried to report in 2003 on Epstein's sexual abuse of a 16-year-old, only to have her Vanity Fair editor, under the direction of Graydon Carter, delete that part of her story. In patriarchy, no one can hear you scream. Unquote. And I would be remiss if I did not mention that I deny each and every single allegation against me today. I am innocent of this charge. Not one, but two of the judges who sit on the highest court in the land, Clarence Thomas and Brett Kavanaugh. In 1991, Anita Hill testified against Clarence Thomas during his confirmation hearing. Vox reported that, quote, In 1991, Hill was widely smeared by the press after she came forward with harassment allegations against Thomas. One of her former managers and Democrats, including Senator Joe Biden, declined to call more witnesses who could have backed up Hill's account. Unquote. Clarence Thomas was confirmed, and Hill was effectively silenced. And then there's good old Kavanaugh. Beer, 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 beer. A rich, privileged, red-faced poster child of entitlement. This has destroyed my family and my good name. A good name built up through decades of very hard work and public service at the highest levels of the American government. His hearing was a study in rape culture. Christine Blasey Ford told us with strength and clarity how she was assaulted by not just Kavanaugh. He attacked her, but he was not alone in that room. I don't have all the answers, and I don't remember as much as I would like to. But the details that, about that night that bring me here today are the ones I will never forget. They have been seared into my memory and have haunted me episodically as an adult. And then we watched a tragic comedy while senators performed indecision, laid out blind denials, elaborate excuses, and raged at the perceived injustice being dealt to Kavanaugh. This is the most unethical sham since I've been in politics. And if you really wanted to know the truth, you sure as hell wouldn't have done what you've done to this guy. We also got a full education about privileged prep school culture, about fraternity and the elite who will at all costs protect their own. The world watched as more power than just about anyone in the United States was handed down to a red-faced, arrogant, biased, seething lotto winner of might. He now creates the law for our land while Christine Blasey Ford went into hiding and had to hire her own security due to death threats from those who were happy to play their role in propping up our culture of rape. And she had to quit her job as a teacher. She, too, was effectively silenced. There's also non-disclosure agreements, which are ubiquitous in the workplace and litigation. They further render victims silent for life, all in the service of protecting those that would victimize. Quote, 
These men could not do what they did without a culture. Lawyers, journalists, judges, friends that protected them, valued them, devalued their victims and survivors. They do not act alone. Their might is nothing more or less than the way our system rewards and protects them, which is another definition of rape culture. That is their impunity. It is not inherent. It is something that society grants them and can take away. Her piece contains much more. Again, the writing is wonderful. She has a huge catalog of writings I very much recommend. Rebecca Solnit. If you want to go to my Facebook page at K Voice of Resistance, like, follow, and share, you will find the piece that I've been discussing on there. And I hope you enjoy it. Before I go, equal pay for kicking ass. In a true case where deserving winner earned the win, the U.S. national soccer team. They won the World Cup, as I'm sure you know. U.S. fans began chanting, equal pay, equal pay at the final game. Earlier this year, the U.S. women's team filed a lawsuit against U.S. soccer, seeking better pay for women who reportedly earn 38% of what their male counterparts, who are not nearly as successful, make. And that is before the huge disparity in FIFA award money. According to CNN Money, the 2019 World Cup championship team will have won $4 million compared to the Men's World Cup in 2018. The World Cup champion for France was awarded $38 million by FIFA for winning the tournament. Which is more than what all the 2019 Women's World Cup teams get combined. Between 2016 and 2018, U.S. women's soccer matches had stronger ticket sales brought in more revenue from games than the men's team, according to the Wall Street Journal. According to Vulture, the women's team didn't just outperform U.S. soccer telecast. Sunday's telecast outdelivered the primetime average for every TV show last season, including Sunday Night Football. Ratings aside, Travis Waldron of the HuffPost makes the point that basing pay, quote, solely off market force, like revenue-generated income, ignores the ways in which the gatekeepers of international soccer have systematically suppressed the women's game for years, keeping them from having the chance to generate similar revenues, unquote. No matter where or what the workplace, if there is a pay disparity between race or gender, it is an injustice, and it must be remedied. We applaud the U.S. women's soccer team, not only for being the kick-ass athletes that they are and strong role models for women and girls worldwide, but for their activism and long-fought fight against gender discrimination in our country. We stand with the U.S. women's soccer team as all 28 players proceed with their lawsuit against their employer, the U.S. Soccer Federation for Gender Discrimination. Here's Megan Rapinoe. This is my charge to everyone. We have to be better. We have to love more, hate less. We gotta listen more and talk less. We gotta know that this is everybody's responsibility. Every single person here, every single person who's not here, every single person who doesn't wanna be here, every single person who agrees and doesn't agree. It's our responsibility to make this world a better place. I think this team does an incredible job of taking that on our shoulders and understanding the position that we have and the platform that we have within this world. Yes, we play sports. Yes, we play soccer. Yes, we're female athletes, but we're so much more than that. You're so much more than that. You're more than a fan. You're more than someone who just supports sports. You're more than someone who tunes in every four years. You're someone who walks these streets every single day. You interact with your community every single day. 
How do you make your community better? How do you make the people around you better? Your family, your closest friends, the 10 closest people to you, the 20 closest people to you, the most 100 closest people to you. It's every single person's responsibility. There's been so much contention in these last years. I've been a victim of that. I've been a perpetrator of that. With our fight with the Federation, sorry for some of the things I said. Not all of things. But it's time to come together. This conversation is at the next step. We have to collaborate. It takes everybody. This is my charge to everybody. Do what you can. Do what you have to do. Step outside yourself. Be more. Be better. Be bigger than you've ever been before. If this team is any representation of what you can be when you do that, please take this as an example. This group is incredible. We took so much on our shoulders to be here today, to celebrate with you today. And we did it with a smile. So do the same for us. Please, I ask you. New York City, get a motherfucking bed! All right, guys, that's my time. Thank you for sticking with me and this episode of Kate, Voice of Resistance. You can stream or download the show at crabdiving.com under the K-Voice tab or on your favorite podcasting app. Follow me on Facebook at K-Voice of Resistance or on Twitter at Kelly the Voice. All right. Take care of yourselves out there. And as always, resist.